Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 287. 287. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he still considers himself an architect because he builds stuff people use. Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me in this session of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. I'm super thankful you're here. If this is your first time listening to the show, make sure you subscribe to get more goodies coming your way. And if you're back again, thank you for coming back. Now, today we're gonna talk about personal branding. This is sort of branding month here on SPI and actually starting next week on October 16th. And don't worry, if you're listening to this way in the future, this is still relevant because you'll be able to do this. But launching for the first time ever is the BYOB course. That's the Build Your Own Brand five-day challenge course, which is gonna be posted up and uh, live next week. So it's really exciting. So go to smartpassiveincome.com slash BYOB and there you'll be able to get access to the challenge where you'll be able to log in and see five modules, one for each of the five days with a few lessons in each to help you go from no website to a website that is branded, that has a theme and that is also connected to an email service provider to help you get your brand up so you can start building up that trust and that relationship with your audience so you can start getting exposure out there so you can start actually making a mark in the online world. And so again, smartpassiveincome.com slash BYOB. Now, I said the, the C word, uh, the course word. Um, I don't want you to think that this is something that you have to pay for because this is actually a free course. I've come out with two courses recently and they were paid course, premium courses, Smart From Scratch at smartfromscratch.com, which has done very well. And then also poweruppodcasting.com for those of you who are wanting to start a podcast. Those two are great. But this upcoming course, Build Your Own Brand, is free and it is by far one of the most requested items uh, now and so I wanted to deliver it to you and not give you any excuses to not get started with getting your website up. So no matter what stage you're at, if you have yet to get your website and brand up and running or maybe you have it up and you're just not sure, very much kind of unsatisfied with it, um, start over. Go to smartpassiveincome.com slash BYOB and I'll take you from there. Now, 
Today, I wanted to talk about building a personal brand because one of the most common questions I get through my show, Ask Pat, and one of the most common questions I get via email is, should I create a personal brand? And first, we're gonna define what that means, then we're gonna talk about it a little bit. But the first thing I wanna say is, there's no right or wrong answer. I think you have to look forward into the future to determine whether or not building a personal brand makes sense for you. And that's really where it starts. What makes sense for you? This is why I talk so much about, especially in my book, Will It Fly, about understanding where you wanna go. What is that destination point for you? You have to get very clear with why you're doing what you're doing and what it is you want the outcome to be. Because if you are not, then you're essentially driving to nowhere. And when you're driving to nowhere, you are losing gas. Eventually, you are going to stop. You're putting wear and tear on your vehicle, if we're going to continue with this analogy. And you may end up further away from where your actual destination may be. So it's important to be clear on the direction you are headed and where you want to go. Now, does that mean you need to know all the steps? No, you likely will not and never will. That's why it's important to get started. But even before you get started, knowing why you're starting and where you want to head is important because even if you get off track, at least you can get back on track or you can have other people who understand where you want to go, who can give you directions along the way, which is kind of why I'm here. So personal branding, what is that? Now, you may have some sort of idea of what it is, but here are a few definitions for you to ponder. The first one here coming from Wikipedia, and that is personal branding is the practice of people marketing themselves and their careers as brands. Personal branding is essentially the ongoing process of establishing a prescribed image or impression in the mind of others about an individual group or organization. I love that. Now, a quote that comes to mind from Jay-Z, to me, sums this all up, what a personal brand is. And that is, I'm not a businessman, I'm a business man. So he himself is the business. You are yourself the business. Without you, your business would not be the same. There are many businesses out there where if the CEO or the founder or the person who's sort of behind it, if they were to leave, things would still continue to run. And in many cases, many personal brands, things can still continue to run because we have devices like blogs and podcasts and videos with our face on it that allow us to still continue to build a relationship without actually having to be there in real time. But over time, there's a diminishing effectiveness, if you will, of how powerful that content can be used to help promote your brand or your products or your content or your offerings, right? Because When people think of personal brands, they think of the person behind it. And if that person were to disappear and not continue to interact and no longer be active, well, then the effectiveness of the content that was uh, previously published would diminish. And so there is some sort of upkeep that goes along with building and maintaining and growing and scaling a personal brand, which we'll get into some of the pros and cons of, you know, personal branding versus some of your other choices. But another way to frame personal branding is what I like and what I've heard from Chris Ducker, from chrisducker.com and youpreneur.com. I mean, he teaches people how to create personal brands from their expertise, from their superpower. And what he says is, it's what people say about you when you are not around. I absolutely love that because it's what people say to each other, how people talk about you, which goes along with the Wikipedia definition of, you know, that perceived or that prescribed image or the impression. 
And that's so important nowadays, especially with social media and how connected we all are, because we all talk to each other about things we love, but also things we don't love. And so you think of, for example, Yelp accounts. I mean, the reviews in Yelp can be that brand image one way or another. It could be positive or it could be negative. And that really plays a role in the overall success of that brand. Now, I was doing some research and I found that the term personal brand is believed to have uh, first been mentioned in an issue of Fast Company magazine 10 years ago, actually to this month, 1997 in August. Uh, There was an article about management guru and author Tom Peters who wrote, and I quote, we are CEOs of our own companies, me, Inc. To be in business today, our most important job is to be head marketer for the brand called you. Now, that is very forward-thinking. In August of 1997, before it was very easy to go up and set up a blog, before it was easy to start a podcast, before YouTube channels were like a thing that you should have, right? Nowadays, when people think personal branding, it's like, oh, where are you posted up? Where is your content being created? What kind of things do you specifically have to offer? What are your superpowers? But I think even before 1997, and this quote was made, I think this is something that's kind of known, right? When you wanna excel in your job, you need to create a brand for yourself so that you can become known in the company that you work for as somebody who can deliver, as somebody who has these, like I said, superpowers that can contribute to the success of the company in whole. When you are a parent, you need to brand yourself as the somebody in the family who is, you know, the discipline, the command, the commander, the um, the person who leads by example. I mean, you can uh, shape yourself in any which way you want, no matter what position you're in, parent. Uh, group leader, uh, manager, manager, um, president, uh, or or even you know employee, you're always branding yourself at all times. But the sense of building and you know creating a personal brand online to then you know turn into a business to build rapport, to serve an audience, to sell things, um, to offer value. Well, this is obviously becoming a lot easier nowadays because of the tools that are available to us. So. That begs the question, well, should we all have a personal brand in that sense now? And I think we should. You know, I think it's important for all of us to have a personal brand of some kind. Now, does that mean you have to have your domain name as the name of your brand? Uh, No. amyporterfield.com, rickmulready.com. I mean, there's other websites out there that do that already. However, you can do like what I do, which is I'm Pat Flynn, but I have smartpassiveincome.com. Now, even though smartpassiveincome.com, in a sense, could have anybody sort of uh, manage it and and become the sort of leader behind it, uh, it's because I'm the one who's doing it, because I'm very forward-facing in that brand, because you're getting to hear my voice on the podcast, because you're seeing my face, because you're seeing me at conferences. I am Smart Passive Income. So you don't necessarily have to have your name, but what I think is important is that you have to fight to become well-known for something. You have to you know, break through that noise, as Michael Hyatt says, and share and showcase what it is that you have to offer that's special. I'm gonna ask you to pause for a moment. If you wanna play along, you don't have to. Maybe you're driving. I don't want you to mess with the controls. You, I'll just you know, be silent for a little bit as you consider this, and you can run through this exercise later. But I wanted to walk through a thought experiment with you. If you've read my book, Will It Fly?, then you know this already. Hopefully, you've done the experiment because it can be one of the most helpful things you can do. But what's really important is for you to understand, like I said, what your superpowers are. What is your unique and unfair advantage? 
Um, this is different than your USP, your unique selling proposition. Those can typically be the features and the benefits of whatever it is that you have to offer. But I'm talking about you, you as a person. What is what is it that you have to offer that other people in your space or nobody else can? Or what is it that you have more of than others who are out there fighting for the same audience? It's important to know how to answer this and to know what those things are because then you can use those things to your advantage. Whereas most people, they don't necessarily know, so they try a whole bunch of things and they try to become experts in places where they don't really need to know how to become an expert, but it just seems like in the moment that that's the, th- the right thing to do, even though it totally works against who their character is, you can see how this can be a time suck, how it could be an energy suck if you go down that path. So the thought experiment I wanna challenge you with is one that comes from my book, Will It Fly? There's a chapter called The Shark Bait Test. And in this test, I'm gonna actually just walk you through this process right now. So I want you to imagine right now, wherever you're at, that you are just magically transported to a a hallway. And in this hallway, you're walking down it, there's carpet on the floor, but on either side of the hallway, there are aquariums with bright blue water, lights pouring down from the ceiling as well. And then you start to see these sharks and this, these fish swimming along uh, this, the, these aquariums that are lined on either side of this hallway. And as you're walking down, you see these giant double doors and you open these double doors, they make a loud noise. And as you walk in, the room opens up and you can see it's a dark room except for the spot that's lit in the middle there. And in that space, lit by those bright lights, are the sharks from Shark Tank. For instance, Mark Cuban, uh, Kevin O'Leary, you know, and all the others, right? If you've seen the show Shark Tank, you know what I'm talking about. But what this essentially is, is a panel that is there to judge you and your idea or your business or your blog or whatever it is that next project you're working on or whatever it is your brand is. You're gonna go there and pitch your idea to them and tell them why it, you know, is something they should invest in. Now, whether you're looking for investors or not, that's not the point here. The point here is that you pitch it to them and they stay silent. And then Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful there in the middle, he puts his fingers together and he says, you know what? What is stopping me from hiring somebody to do exactly what you do? I can just hire somebody I know to do all of that for me and I don't need you. So why should I work with you? And it's interesting because this is the exact scenario that I see over and over and over again on the Shark Tank. This is a question that often pops in during these sort of question uh, and answer sessions between the investor and the person who's making the pitch. And it's interesting to hear a lot of the answers because a lot of times people fish for an answer or try to provide an answer that, you know, they think the investors would sound kind of, you know, what they'd want to hear like, oh, well, the market share of this product. No, that stuff doesn't matter. The question is, what is your unfair advantage? So how would you answer Mr. O'Leary there? What would you say is your unfair advantage? That should absolutely, whether you're building a personal brand or building a regular brand, not that a personal brand is not regular, but I mean a non-personal brand where it is essentially a company that's doing the interactions. It's You're being known as a logo or a personality that's not you yourself, but what the company makes up in whole, what is it that you have or that company has to offer that nobody else can? What would make it so that Kevin is wrong? He cannot hire somebody to do that. Why? 
in many cases on the show, it's a patent of some kind, but other times they do a great job of sharing exactly what they have inside of them that others do not. It could be a special skill that they have, that they know they know more about that thing than anybody else. They've practiced many more hours. It could be perhaps the network that they've created, the connections that they have in that particular space. Uh, I did a podcast episode once where we spoke with Lane Amon, who talked about how she used her unfair advantage, which was her connections in the scrapbooking space, to connect those people together in an online virtual conference or virtual summit which ended up helping her earn over six figures in the scrapbooking industry. Um, So that was her superpower and her unique unfair advantage. But we still haven't really spoken on the question of, well, what's better? What's best to create a personal brand or to kind of just create a brand where maybe you're working behind it, but you have a whole team, other people could potentially replace you, and that would be okay. Well, there are pros and cons to each. With a personal brand, the pros are, it is you. And like Chris Ducker says, you are 100% original. Nobody is like you. That's why when you see people start to kind of copy and mimic other people, it's like, why are you doing that? Like, you are yourself. That's your biggest advantage is you are you and nobody is like you. So when you can amplify those things that are unique about you and they become a part of the image that you are sharing with others in the online space or in the world of business, well, that then helps you become your brand. And nobody can copy that. Now, people can attempt to, but they're always going to be second best because you are doing you. You do you. Uh, It reminds me of another quote by Frank J. Giblin II, which sums this up completely, and that is, be yourself. Who else is better qualified? So that speaks to a lot of things, right? Also, just being confident in who you are and the experiences that you have, the information that you're sharing. So when you are you, you are more able to stand out of the crowd. You may be discussing and sharing things that are very similar to what other people are sharing, but they are not you. And there are other people in this world who will want to follow the way that you teach it, the way that you propose it, the way that you share that information. They're going to want to follow you because it's all about that connection, which leads us to the second advantage, which is the fact that we live in a world where it's all about the P2P relationships, the person-to-person, the people-to-people relationships is you know, again, Chris Ducker, I keep mentioning him him here, not just because I love the guy, but also because he knows personal branding. And he tells this story about, you know, Bob the Baker, right? And Bob the Baker is like, if you live in a small town, I mean, you go to Bob to buy bread because you know Bob, not just because his bread is great, but you know Bob, he welcomes you and you get to know him. He gets to know you. He knows the name of your kids. And maybe a grocery store opens up closer to your home that has bread for even cheaper, but you're gonna go to Bob's Bakery anyway because of Bob, because of the uh, what, what Bob has given you more than just the bread. It's the experience, it's that culture, it's, it's the friendship. Um, so it's about those people, the people relationships. This is uh, a, a good personal example of where the P2P relationship really, really helped me out was in, I think it was April or May of 2009. So by this point, I had published my first ebook, which was a guide to help people pass the lead exam and examine the architecture space. And it was doing very well. I was making five figures a month, anywhere between 15 and 30K per month. And then a big piece of news came my way, and that was that the United States Green Building Council, the USGBC, which is the organization that actually creates the exams, that actually writes the questions for these exams, the exam that I was teaching people how to pass, they came out with their own study guide to compete with mine. 
And I thought I was done for. I thought I was screwed. I thought, well, why would people want to buy from me, Pat Flynn, who didn't even get a perfect score on the test, who was just this random person who started talking about this test online and started selling a, a, a ebook study guide to help people pass it. Why would people buy from me versus the actual organization that creates the questions for this exam? And little did I know that that was going to be a record month for me because I found out that when people bought from me, A, knowing that there were study guides for these things because they got news from the United States Green Building Council. I mean, they literally sent an email to everybody, but then people started to shop around and they started to see that there were actually quite a few study guides beyond the USGBC one, which was quite expensive. And, you know, there's many reasons why that's the case. It's because, you know, they have bills to pay. There's a lot of administrative and, uh, you know, costs to running that business. Um, you know, mine was fairly cheaper or fairly less expensive, but it was still, you know, a, big, a good price point for what people were getting. And people I found out, they told me that the reason they bought from me you know, I had the most traffic I ever had that month. But the reason they bought for me was because they connected with me because I was somebody who was just like them, just a couple steps ahead, not a faceless organization, not an organization that was going to charge, you know, already $400 to take the exam, let alone $85 for an exam guide. Well, here was Pat Flynn, somebody who had taken this exam, who seemed to have gotten to know his way around passing and, you know, studying for and passing this exam. So it made sense. It was surprising to me because I thought I was dead, but it made sense to me after I started to hear the feedback about why people really wanted to um, buy a guide from me. And then later this was confirmed when I remember one of my mentors, Jeremy Franson, who was one of the hosts of Internet Business Mastery. He and I would meet every once in a while and we had lunch one day at Cheesecake Factory in San Diego. And I was sitting, I pitched him on the idea of like these 10 different business ideas I had because I was just kind of, you know, doing okay with Smart Passive Income. Green Exam Academy was kind of set already. Uh, it was at that set and forget stage. And I pitched him these 10 different business ideas and he said, man, these are pretty pretty amazing ideas. Here's like a camera rev review site. Um, you know, all these things I was interested in, I turned into an idea and I shared with him. But he said, you know what's missing from each of these things is you, your personality. You have this uncanny ability to connect with people through your writing through your videos. And so that's when I decided that when I was gonna start a podcast, I was gonna start to include a lot more of myself in it, which is why at the beginning of every episode, if you've listened to all the episodes or any other episodes in the past, you'll notice that the beginning where I share a random fact about me from my voiceover guy, it's different every single time because I knew that would help with that personal touch by keeping it different, keeping it interesting, but most of all, keeping it relatable. I mean, some people come up to me for the first time. I've never met them before. I see them at a conference and they're like, Pat, dude, like, how's your fantasy football team doing? You know, because they know I've talked about that. And typically my answer is, well, I don't want to talk about it because it's not doing very well right now. But uh, other times it's just other random things. Like this one other time, this woman was, you know, we had this conversation about the fact that I was like a giant baby because I was literally a giant baby. I was 11 pounds, 12 ounces when I was born. And now saying this again, some of you are going to be like, oh my gosh, like I can't even imagine that. Or maybe you had a baby that was 11 pounds, 12 ounces come out of you and you're like, whoa, okay, I can relate to that now and I get it. So anyway, those little facts that may not seem to matter at all matter quite a bit because those are the things that people remember, that thing that makes me seem more human, that makes me more of a person as opposed to just 
an online robot, right? I have now a personality and that's the personality that people will connect with. So I would encourage all of you to share more of yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you have to share everything. And obviously, different people have different lines on what is shareable and what people are comfortable with. But I would recommend just trying it and seeing what the reaction is like. Maybe on Facebook, a good challenge for you would be to post a very personal uh, story about something, maybe an embarrassing story, and have people and encourage your followers and fans to share their most embarrassing story too. This is something I did when I was on uh, Michael Stelzner's show, uh, Social Media uh, marketing podcast and it was a fun challenge because a lot of the comments people were sharing their most embarrassing story and it was just kind of a fun exercise to get used to sharing something that is from our past something personal but something that makes us more human and i think we can all connect better if we do that so why don't you share your most embarrassing story in the comment section of this podcast episode so if you go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 287 Share just an embarrassing story from your past. And I think this will be, you know, a lot of you might be like, what? 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 I don't get it. If you don't get it, well, you don't get it yet. What it is, it's, it's practicing the idea of opening up a little bit, being personable and being vulnerable. Those are things that can help you as a personal brand stand out and feel better connected with your audience and have your audience connect on a more deeper level with you. Because part of being a personal brand is being honest. And this is the one thing that I know I do that a lot of people know me for, and that's the honesty that comes with where I come from, from everything, from the failed experiments that I've had, from the you know $15,000 failed software experiment back in 2010 to my failed membership site in 2013 called Breakthrough Blogging that later two years down the road I offered a refund for because I just needed to wipe that slate clean because I was just not happy with what I had given versus the expectations that I was setting for those customers to the random stories about my family that I talk about, to all these little random facts that you hear. If you don't get why this exercise is important, well, then you are not getting it. This whole idea of what a personal brand is. Now, I don't want you to confuse a personal brand with just telling random stories and embarrassing stories about yourself the whole time. This is just one component of what it means to be personal online. And it's this personal part that I feel makes that competitive advantage so attractive to go down that route. But there, of course, are a number of disadvantages to going down this route too. It's scary. It's opening up yourself to vulnerability and for criticism and you know, for haters and trolls who literally you're putting yourself out there as a target. And many great things can come from that. But at the same time, many not so great things can come from that too because it's you. And when somebody comments on or disrespects your brand, it's a direct or it feels as if, and it probably is, a direct insult or disrespectful moment to you. And that can hurt sometimes. That's derailed me in the past to a point where almost after a month of not working at all after a hateful sequence of comments on my blog and many other people's blogs about me, um, I almost wanted to give up. But then I realized just how insane that was to think that way because every second that I was wasting on this person and what he had started was a second that I was taking, taking away from the people who actually cared about me, who actually wanted to learn from me. And we as entrepreneurs, and you all might know this, we have this sort of weird math. And that weird math is one negative comment is greater than 100 positive comments. It's interesting. I had an interesting conversation with my son today. He's seven now. 
And I'll get it back on the show sometime. I know a lot of you who have listened to the show for a while, you might kind of remember when he first came on the show when he was like two and then a, a four. Um, he's turning eight soon. But we're having deeper, more meaningful conversations now that he's seven and he's, you know, logic is kicking in now and uh, his emotions are kicking in. He's starting to have personal likes and dislikes. It's really interesting to be here with him every single day and watch him grow up and notice how he's been changing and growing over time. But one conversation we had on the way back from dinner today was the fact that he felt like he said, hey, dad, I don't think I'm being a good big brother. And I said, well, why Why do you say that? And he said, well, because I do bad things to Kai all the time. Kai is his sister. And I'm like, well, what kind of bad things are you talking about? Well, he offered a couple of examples and these were just things that had happened earlier in the day that made Kai upset and, you know, he wasn't sharing something or he had said something mean and she got upset about that. So he was feeling you know, the regret of that. And, you know, I can appreciate that. I I liked that he was thinking about something he had done and was internally questioning whether or not that was the right thing to do. And he came to the conclusion that um, it shouldn't have been that way. So he then decided to say that he was not being, or he was not a good big brother. But I asked him, well, can you name off more things that you did that were great? And he actually couldn't. So... I was able to pull out several examples from just today only of when he was a good big brother, when he helped his sister get his shoes on this morning, when he helped by sharing a snack when they came home from school and they shared a popsicle together. And I gave like seven or eight examples. And I was trying to teach him the fact that we just like to gravitate and think about and dwell on those things that aren't working out so well or the negative things that are happening. But clearly, when I told him all the great things he did, he eventually ended up saying, well, I guess I'm not that bad. And I said, no, you're not. But you gotta also realize that we will always recognize the negative things, and we don't always recognize the positive things. But start to train yourself to counter those negative thoughts with positive ones, and start to perhaps think of examples and appreciate those things that you do that are positive. And be aware of those things. And so just a little lesson for all of you to do that as well. It's something that I wish I knew earlier in life because I was somebody who was always dwelling on the negative aspects of my life. The things that weren't going well. The fact that I was short. But I didn't think about how quick I was on the soccer field. I always was concerned about how short I was. And things like that. Like, I mean, that's just one of thousands of examples it may seem like. I mean, I could probably make a list of all the thousand different things that I just didn't like about myself or what I did or the situation I was in uh, back in school. I was picked on a lot. I was bullied. But, you know, all those things I realized uh, made me stronger. You know, eventually I got to the point where I was happy with who I was and that, you know, it took until college to make that happen. But I wish I found that stuff out sooner and kind of, you know, was comfortable with who I was sooner because I would have probably had a better time in high school. But anyway, uh, I'm kind of getting off tangent here. But to go back to personal branding, one of the other disadvantages of creating what's called a personal brand, in a sense, for example, building a business where you are the center of it, where you are definitely the engine that keeps it running, uh, is that it's not very sellable. Meaning if you wanted to exit, if you wanted to hand that business off to somebody else, it would likely change overnight when that transaction would happen. And um, that's an interesting thought. It's not a bad thing 
for me, I, I love it because I don't want anybody to replace who I am. But other people, they go into a business and they have a certain time frame in mind in terms of how long they want to work on it and then will want to hand it off. You know, exit strategies, for example, which is a whole nother conversation. Like, what does that mean when you approach a business to just simply exit? Um, there's a lot of underlying factors and thoughts that go into that, of course. And we could probably have a live discussion at some point related to that, which would be really interesting. I think I'd love to get all of your takes on that. But going back to this whole idea of selling your brand, um, you you are, as a personal brand, making it extremely difficult, nearly impossible to sell that business off or to hand it off to somebody else without a very difficult transition period, uh, meaning it's going to take a lot of work to get your audience who you build, who has built trust with you, to get used to somebody else. And I've seen it happen before. I've seen brands undergo a... You know, a shift in management and a shift in who owns that website. And I've seen websites sort of take a dive as a result. I mean, I think they're still going strong, but they're just not the same. They're they're different. Like imagine if somebody else took over Smart Passive Income. It would be completely different. Now, there's another example that comes to mind. Um, Adam Baker, who I absolutely love. He was a, and still is a great friend of mine, although I haven't talked to him in, in quite a while. But back in 2011, he and I uh, grew pretty close. We've worked on a few projects together. He is a person who is blogging over at manversusdebt.com. And I got to know him very well because I was very involved in the personal finance community. He's partly the reason why I got so involved in FinCon, which led me to start speaking at their event and all, the, all those kinds of things. But anyway, um, he ended up you know, removing himself from that brand and hired somebody else to kind of take over the writing for that blog. And it was completely different. I mean, it was done in a a legit way. It was done in an authentic way. Um, I've I've seen it happen with several other sites as well, and it just never feels the same. So that's just something to be wary about, to consider when you are at the point at which you are deciding to go with a personal brand. Now, does creating a personal brand mean you'll, you'll never able to be selling anything? No, not at all. I mean, think of Neil Patel, right? A very big personal brand in the online marketing and advertising space. He blogs at neilpatel.com. He also has a website called Quick Sprout, which he is indeed, you know, the brand behind that too. So in that, you know, that neilpatel.com, he wouldn't be able to give that to anybody else, right? Quicksprout.com, that's like the medium level. It is very much his own brand, but in a sense, it's not so just all his pictures everywhere. He has other guest writers, I think, who come on board every once in a while. So he could, you know, on a medium level, you know, sell it if he wanted it to. Um, but then he has other businesses like Kissmetrics um, and Hello Bar and, and several other ones where he is a major player in those brands, but he is not those brands. He is an influencer who helps to promote those brands. He is a part of those companies and he helps to make those companies successful. But whether it's him or another person who steps in as CEO or president, I mean, it can still, obviously, depending on the performance of those new people, it's not going to affect the brand very much in terms of that transition period. So I think that's like the best situation because Neil could always do any other project and he can utilize the power that he's built with his personal brand to set up shop anywhere else he wants and to create any new piece of software and then sell it or promote it or create any new business. And with his personal brand name behind it, he would be able to get it kickstarted quite quickly. 
And I think that's the cool thing. You can kind of do both. You can do a, a, a personal brand, but also have a business at the same time. But can you do both at the same time? Maybe, maybe. There's a person I know who went the other way around. His name is Stu McLaren. I knew Stu simply as a person who was the co-founder or founder of WP Wishlist, which is a membership plugin that you can install on WordPress to create uh, sort of, um, you know, gated areas, places where only on WordPress, when people log in, can they see that information. So it's behind a membership, you know, sort of platform within WordPress. And so WP Wishlist was that plugin. I got very familiar with that plugin because it was one of the many that I was experimenting with. And I got very familiar with the tool and I got to learn more about the team behind it. And Stu was just that person who was the creator of the tool. But then, you know, I started to see Stu start to speak a little bit more. I saw him speak at Platform Conference, uh, which is run, which was run by Michael Hyatt. That conference doesn't run anymore, but it was great. I saw and got to meet Stu for the first time. I got to hear his name more and more. And then through other channels and blogs, I started to hear Stu come up again. And, you know, it was always about Stu not WP Wishlist. And he had sort of transitioned out of the software space and he got out of WP Wishlist and then created stew.me. And that's his website where he now is helping several other people build their tribes and help them with their software companies and do other amazing things to help their brands. And he's done a very good job of transitioning out of a non-personal brand, but very much a software solution where he was just the co-founder Um or the founder, I don't remember exactly, which is why I keep saying both, uh, but then transitioning into then what became his own personal brand. And I think it may have just taken that experience to work with WP Wishlist to understand what he really wanted to do and what his personal brand was gonna be about. I think he always knew, and Stu, if you're listening to this, correct me if I'm wrong, I'd love to talk to you more, um, just in general, because you're such a great human being and you and your family are amazing, but I think it just took some experience working in that situation as the founder of a company to then understand what his true passions were and what his potential superpowers were. And he obvious he has some obvious superpowers. One of, one of the ones I remember when I heard him speak was just his storytelling. His storytelling and his passion behind with what he says can really inspire. And he's doing that with his, uh, you know, his tribe masterminds and, and such now that he uh, brings people together. He tells amazing stories. He helps inspire them and gives them, you know, very clear actions in their businesses to help them pro uh, propel themselves forward. So, stew.me is his website and he's awesome. Um, another person comes to mind, again, just talking about brands and the people behind them. You know, there's a brand called Ugmonk, U-G-M-O-N-K. We actually featured Jeff, the founder, uh, in episode 285 just a couple weeks ago. And it was a very popular episode because of the, just the authenticity that he brought and to show that, you know, this t-shirt company, which is essentially is what it started out as, a design company that used t-shirts, um, really expanded into something that became sort of just like a cult hit and an amazing brand that people loved and that people just are now raving fans of. And I'm now a raving fan of Jeff because of his story and because of what he's built, um, but also because the, just the products are amazing and the designs are fantastic. I've back to Kickstarter campaign of his. Um, so that's episode 285. But Jeff is interesting because his brand is known as Ugmonk, but I think that is just a reflection of who he is. He, he wouldn't even tell me why it's called Ugmonk. And, you know, I just, I really wanted to get that story out of him, but he wouldn't tell me. But, you know, I know that that's just representative of, of who he is and what he's trying to create. And so 
the brand, even though on the on the front end is this thing called Ugmunk, and you don't even really know what that means until you go there and you see what it's all about and you read his story uh, or you listen to that episode, episode 285. Um, but it is very much Jeff. Um, and then Jeff's family is also working in the business too. So it's just a, an extension of who he is. And that's just the personality that it's taken. I mean, it's it's just an extension of him. And it's just an amazing, amazing brand in the sort of design commerce space. So I all... Uh, all of you, I recommend checking that out. So I could go on and on with different examples of different kinds of brands. I mean, there's the, you know, the the people whose names are just so well known that they are their own brand, right? Like Michael Hyatt, Seth Godin. And, you know, I'm only speaking of the entrepreneurship space right now. If you were to go into the personal fitness space, I mean, there are brands uh, in the personal fitness space, which are those people, right? Like, I think it's Jillian Michaels, I want to I want to say. And then there's, of course, Shalene Johnson, uh, and those big names, uh, Sean T, um, who, who's the guy who I just got so sick of because I, oh, Tony Horton. I love Tony, by the way, but I just got so sick of hearing his voice all the time because I kept playing those videos from P90X every single day for like 270 days. I went through three iterations of P90X. I just got so tired of the same jokes. But anyway, it's no offense to uh, Tony Horton. He changed my life there when I started P90X back in the day. But you know what I mean? Like, so those are some personalities. I mean, there are pe- people in the cooking space who have their own brand. And yes, they have their own cooking shows, but they are very much the reason why that show exists and why it's successful, right? So just in any niche, there are those people who they are essentially their brand. And then in the same niches, there are companies that are known and people connect with and they love because of what service that company as a whole, the culture that it's created, the feelings that people get of just belonging because of what these companies have created for them. And in every niche, there's the there's the exact same thing. So there is no really wrong answer. I think the big, big lesson and takeaway here is you need to know why people are going to follow you and you need to put yourself out there and you need to connect. You need to create because the truth is, if you're sitting here and you don't have a website up and you're contemplating and speculating all these things, but you're just not taking any action, the truth is, and this is a fact, you're never going to get any results at all, which is why this BIOB challenge next week is going to be really important. And again, if you're listening to this in the future, it doesn't matter. You can still go through the five-day challenge. It's going to be set on autopilot so you can go through it and you can get access to the course material and go through your own specific five days don't worry, in the beginning of that challenge uh, and that course, I will help you outline you know, and plan ahead in terms of your calendar, how many hours per day uh, you'll be needing and all those kinds of things. So by the end of this challenge, starting again, October 16th, by the end of the week, you're going to have your website up. It's going to be branded. It's going to have uh, a theme to that website. So it's going to look great. It's going to be a great starter kit for you to just get started with writing content and putting yourself out there and starting to make waves and noise in this world noise that matters right um you know actually things that can help people um but you're also going to have the ability to start to collect email addresses and all these things that you need sort of as a foundation to kind of no matter what your business is to get online to get there creating content and to get get found in google to get found by people um so i'm just really excited about it and this is an experiment too for us uh, over at SPI and for me because I've, like I said, created courses in the past and they're very straightforward, but they're at your own pace. They're not in a certain time constraint, although we do have recommended times at which you should be kind of pacing yourself through those courses. So smartfromscratch.com, 
powerupodcasting.com, but smartpassiveincome.com slash BYOB. I mean, that is a different thing that we're going to see how it works out. And um, hopefully we're going to have a lot of reports after people go through the five days to share with us their brand new websites and the fact that they're already collecting email addresses. It's going to be a lot of fun and I hope you will join us in that. So again, one more time, that link is smartpassiveincome.com slash BYOB. And you can sign up there. And um, if you are signing up before that date, you're going to get the sort of countdown timer in the in the wait list. And then, um, and then boom, on Monday, October 16th, you'll get that first email. It's going to announce the challenge. We're going to have some prizes too. Uh, and if you catch that website, smartpassiveincome.com slash BYOB in the future, you can just go through it now. You won't have to wait to get started on your five days. Um, so there you go. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. If you want, if you want to get all the links and the brands and the personalities that I mentioned, uh, you can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 287 and there you'll get all the links and resources mentioned in this episode. And again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash BYOB. You'll be able to check that out next week. Thanks guys. Love you. Take care. And I look forward to uh, serving you in next week's episode where we have a really interesting interview with a couple from us from Australia who, who I met there. I actually squeezed them in the schedule because I just really enjoy their story. And they're doing very, very well in a niche that I am guessing most of you will never even consider because I've never even heard of it before until I met them not too long ago. So that's next week. Until then, keep crushing it. And I'll look forward to serving you uh, especially on Monday, October 16th, if you are looking to get your website up finally. Uh, let me help you do it. We'll do it in less than a week and it'll be fun. It'll be awesome. Thanks, guys. Take care and I'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI, and today I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.